Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. So we are continuing in our series on our church theme, which is... Put out in deep waters, which means... No one knows. <laughs> uh, our church theme for this year is put out into deep waters. So the, um, the passage is Luke chapter 5. And in this passage, Simon, Peter, and the other disciples are um, coming back from a long night fishing. And they caught nothing. Expert fishermen making, doing it their whole lives, worked really hard all night, zip, nada. Um, Dan tells us a lot about how his fishing trips often have the outcome that he doesn't want, which is he catches nothing, he catches no crabs, he catches no fish. It's really sad, really disappointing. And so they're coming in because then he doesn't bring them to our house and we're like, we don't get free, yummy, fresh fish or crab. But uh, the, the fishermen come in and then Jesus is teaching people on the, on the shore. And then he basically uh, calls Simon Peter and says, Get back into the boat, get your nets, go out deep, and then throw the nets out into the ocean. And Simon's like, why would I want to do that? We worked all night. We didn't find anything. But at his word, at the word of Jesus, Simon puts out the nets, and then he catches a whole boatload of fish. The nets are breaking. The boat is overloaded with fish. It's a miraculous catch, more fish than Simon had probably ever seen in his fishing career. And Jesus did it just like that. Now, the part we're going to focus on this week is what happens after that miraculous catch of fish. There's further dialogue and interaction that happens between Simon Peter and Jesus. When Simon Peter sees this catch of fish, uh, many of us, if we were in his position, would say like, you know, woohoo, I won the lottery, or like, this is so awesome, this is so great, like, thank you, Jesus, for helping me so much. But he actually says something very interesting. So if you're in Luke chapter 5, you can go ahead and read this account. And I would, I would actually recommend, like, just go home and read this account, the, um, Luke chapter 5, the church theme. Uh, and Luke, or Peter actually says this. He says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And so this is a very strange response to a miraculous catch of fish. And to understand what's going on here, you need to look at the whole kind of uh, this kind of theme of truly encountering God that runs throughout the Bible. And so uh, he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. What's really interesting about this passage is when, Je when Peter encounters Jesus as he is, when Jesus does this miracle and, and he speaks to Peter and then Peter obeys him, Peter comes to this self-knowledge or self-realization about himself that he is sinful. And he, as a result of his new self-knowledge, he has this sense that Jesus should get away from him, that Jesus should depart from him because he's not worthy of being in God's presence. He's not worthy of being the disciple of Jesus. And so, um, you know, you see this in all kinds of like, like, you know, Chinese like Kung Fu movies and like, or it, it's like, it's all over the place. Uh, when I was growing up, my parents would uh, always, like, my mom would have us watch um, Chinese Kung Fu movies, and then my dad is white, and then none of uh, me and my sister don't speak Mandarin, so 
like, and there would be, it would be in Cantonese with Mandarin subtitles, and then, because a lot of the movies are from Hong Kong, right? And then my mom would, like, translate for us what was going on. And, you know, you, you see scenes in this in, like, Chinese courtroom, courtroom, uh, M, M, what do you call it? Uh, what's the word? Chinese court political intrigue kind of stuff. And there's always, at some point, there's, like, there's, like, the kind of bowing and you, like, back away where you're saying, like, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy, right? There's something about you. There's something, some kind of realization that you come to yourself. Now, when Peter says, depart from me, a sinful man, um, I think when we hear the word sin, we have certain associations that we have to reckon with. Um, when people hear the word sin, they think judgmental, uh, they think condemning, uh, and there's really a sense of like, people are looking at you and they wanna put you down because you're so bad. The other thing that we have kind of an association with if you've grown up in this culture is, there's sort of an unreasonable expectation that you're perfect, right? And so when someone calls you a sinner, you're like, I mean, I'm just human. What am I supposed to do? Why are you judging me for something? Like, why are you being so moralistic? But when you actually try to understand what the Bible says about sin, and we'll get into that, um, I want you to understand sin. There, there is a sense in which sin is like doing wrong in God's eyes, right? But what you have to understand is God does not tell us to avoid sin or be freed from sin out of judgment, out of condemnation. Uh, th this, is, this is kind of a little difficult to unpack, but, but we'll get there, okay? So let me continue the story. So Peter says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And then Jesus does not say, yeah, you're a sinful man. Get out of here. I'm going to get some sinless disciples. He actually says, come follow me for I will make you fish. Actually, he says, do not be afraid. He starts by saying, do not be afraid, and then he says, you know, come follow me, for I will make you fisher of men. Now, this story is a perfect illustration of what I would say is such a crucial dynamic within the Christian life. Uh, this dynamic is the tension and paradox that leads us to grow and change within the Christian of life. On one hand, when you truly encounter God, when you hear the voice of Jesus, when you encounter God's word, um, God brings you to a place where you have painful self-knowledge. Um, God brings you to a place where you have painful realizations about your flaws and shortcomings. And this is not in the realm simply of like performance, okay? Uh, if you, many of us think about our failings and we're ashamed of our failures to perform in certain areas, like in school, right? Where you feel ashamed of the fact that your grades don't meet the standards of your teachers or your parents or yourself or whatever it might be. When God brings us to painful self-knowledge, it is in the realm of relationships more than it is in the realm of performance. Because God never expects us to do things that we're not capable of. Do you know what I mean? Like, if God expected me to become a professional basketball player, oh, how I wish he did, um, I just wouldn't cut it. I just seriously would not cut it, right? And it would be unrealistic, and it would be crushing for me to expect myself to become a basketball player, for my wife to expect me to become a basketball player, for God to expect me to become a basketball player. Totally unreasonable. God's not like that. What he really cares about is the impact that our sin has on our relationship with him, and especially on our relationship with each other. And so, you know, if you go through any sort of close relationship, 
when you actually come face to face with what it means to love someone, to be you know, a good friend to someone, uh, if you are sober-minded, if you have clear eyes about the problem, your own kind of problems, you come to realize, like, I bring something to the table, I contribute some kind of, uh, some kind of difficulties, or I, I have some part uh, to, uh, what do you call it? I have, I have some role in creating the difficulties in my relationships. And that's a really healthy view. That's what God does when you encounter him. He brings you to this knowledge where you are sinful. And this word means you have a deeper knowledge of the role you play in creating harm in your relationships and leading to uh, dysfunction in the people around you. Now, this is really heavy. This is really heavy. Uh, but what's so incredible is at the same time, Jesus, Paul, uh, Peter's impulses say, depart me from me for I am a sinful man. And then Jesus says, don't be afraid. Where Paul, oh, why I, keep on, I keep on saying Paul because we're going to talk about a passage from Romans. But Peter has one impulse where he thinks he has to depart from Jesus. Jesus is saying, actually, don't be afraid. Come to me. And so this is a dynamic in the way that you view yourself as a Christian that is the key to transformation. And so we've been talking about what it looks like for uh, Jesus to speak to us, for us to follow the leading and hear the voice of Jesus. And I want to kind of talk mainly about this dynamic. It is a paradoxical relationship between God bringing us to painful self-knowledge of our sinfulness, and yet at the same time, God saying to us, you are perfectly loved and accepted, and you are absolutely secure. And so I'm going to like kind of unpack what that looks like, what it means, and how this dynamic is so important. So the, the one little passage that we're looking at, and in this one little passage from Romans, just one little verse, Romans chapter 8, 14, uh, Paul captures in a nutshell what this dynamic is and what... Dude, I use... Um, that I use Toby's um, red envelopes as bookmarks. <laughs> and seriously, because, yeah, so that's why it fell. Anyway, um, okay. So, man, I lost my page. Whatever. Okay, so this is Romans chapter 8, verse 14. And we're going to see, we're going to unpack what this means. Um, Romans chapter 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Say that again. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Um, this is a really, really interesting passage. And like you might not see it when I read this passage just now, but this passage is actually all about how God transforms us and works in our life. And he does it in a way that involves both painful realizations of our issues but also this deep underlying security. Where do I see this? When he says, uh, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, um, first we have to understand what he means when he says to be led by the Spirit of God. Um, within certain Christian circles, when people think about lead, the leading of the Spirit, probably one of the main things they think about is God guiding people. And if, okay, so if you're not familiar with Christian culture, everything I'm saying is kind of bizarre. But within Christian culture, 
there's an idea that God actually can specifically direct our decisions and choices in the right way. And so this happens, this happens throughout the New Testament in very interesting ways, where um, Paul, when Paul is going on missionary journeys, which means Paul feels called by God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he goes on these missionary journeys. He's traveling. Travel is dangerous. He goes on boats. He walks on the ground. He rides a donkey. I don't know if he rides a donkey, but that's kind of what I imagine travel was like back then. And he's actually going in this direction um, towards Asia. And then in Acts, it says the spirit forbade him from going to that region. And so Paul is going in this direction, and then the spirit changes his direction to a different way. And so uh, in certain Christian circles, you hear stories about people who say like, you know, I was gonna go to this college, but then I felt a prompting from God who said, don't go to that college anymore, go to this college instead. And this is one way that Christians understand the leading of God, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, what I would say is God, it is totally up to God whether he does that or not, but that is not what he's talking about in this passage. The leading of the Holy Spirit here is different than that sort of subjective, impression-based guidance from God about what to do in a particular situation. Who to marry? Like, you know, I mean, some people take it really extreme where it's like, what clothes should I put on the morning? God, what, tell me, like, should I wear blue or should I wear, you know, pink? Or like, like whatever, I don't know. Um, but that's like, <laughs> what, what this passage is talking about is something different. So try to understand what he's saying, we have to look at the context. And what, what I want you to see from the context, if you read chapter eight briefly, if you skim through it, is uh, Paul actually says a, a lot of things related to sin in this passage and related to flesh. Uh, so in chapter eight, verse five through six, uh, he says this, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the thing of the spirit. And so you have a contrast being drawn here between a certain way of living and thinking that he encapsulates as the term the flesh, and then he has a separate term for what it means to be led by the spirit. And he says there, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. I know this is super confusing, but let me try to, let me try to untangle it. Um, basically, Paul, uh, Paul encapsulates a certain mindset and way of living with this term, the flesh. It can look like a whole host of different things, but what I would say is it's an anti-God mindset. It's a, it's a mindset that says, I... Uh, I might know what God desires for me to do, but I want nothing to do with it. And often it uh, characterizes itself um, in terms of rejecting and pushing away uh, what God would say and uh, living your life solely in terms of what you want to do or what someone else wants you to do. Do you know what I mean? But it's not God. So it's kind of like an anti-God mindset. And so Paul says the opposite of that is to live according to the Spirit and set your mind on the Spirit. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? We're starting to get a picture. 
It's the idea that you are someone whose mind is focused and attentive to the things of the spirit, which means what God would have us think and consider. Um, and there are very practical things that this looks like. So um, this is a progressive thing where when your mind is set on the things of the spirit, um, a lot of the values that the world has are relativized, which means, uh, for example, some people think that getting the best job in the world is the most important thing. And when you set your mind on the things of the spirit, like, it's really interesting, you know, like, I read Reddit a lot. And so you see people whose entire minds and lives and meaning is captured in certain areas, right? So I read, like, a financial independence, retire early Reddit, subreddit. And these people think that if I only had this freedom from my job, I would be completely happy and fulfilled. And so all of their mind and attention is focused on this goal. It's not bad to set goals. It's not bad to want to achieve this kind of financial independence. I'm not saying it's bad, but if uh, what's really interesting is when you get to the extreme areas of this subreddit, um, people are extremely frugal. Uh, people condemn people for giving to charitable organizations because they're like, that sets me back from my goal of retiring early. Um, it, it's, I, well, all I'm saying is it's all consuming. And it leads to choices where you have to say, I am choosing this choice over a different way of thinking and living. The opposite of that is to set your mind on the things of the spirit. And I would capture this like very simply. Um, you know, the Bible, Jesus talks about how all of the law, all of the Old Testament can basically be summed up in a few things. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And in these two things, we have kind of like an acid test for what it looks like to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. So this is not the realm of earthly achievement. It's not in the realm of performance. It's in the realm of relationships and what it looks like to love God and love the people around you. And when your mind is set on the Spirit, these are the things that you pay attention to. So before, you pay attention to financial independence, retire early. Now, you think, you know, maybe, and this is really interesting, this is all from the subreddit, Lots of, lots of examples of people who say, um, my spouse is not on board for my goals to have financial independence and retire early. I want to be frugal. I make sense. I'm smart. I'm rational. We're saving 70% of our take-home pay so that we can retire early. And my spouse wants to buy a new purse. Or my spouse wants to buy new weightlifting equipment. How dare they? They're so, I'm, I'm serious. This is, these are literally posts that you read all the time. And so they're like, how can I get my spouse on board with the fire movement? And what, like, a lot of the posters are actually very wise where they say, maybe you should communicate to your spouse about your values and try to reach some kind of compromise. Maybe you just have to let your dream of retiring in five years by saving 90% of your take-home pay, let it go, go down to 70%, you'll have to wait five more years, but that's okay because then you won't ruin your marriage and divorce is expensive. No, like seriously, this is the, t I'm serious. This is the, this is like literally the type of advice people give. Now, there's something really cool there, 
where people are relativizing the goal by saying your relationships are such an important part of what's going on in your life. And so in the same way, to set your mind on the spirit is to take seriously your relationship with God and your relationship with those around you. Um, and rather than simply accumulating for yourself, rather than being focused on your own goals, you actually let go, you, and this is what Jesus says, deny yourself, carry your, his cross daily, and follow him. So in one, in one mindset, who is the one in charge? Who is the one leading? I am. I have my goal of independence. And then in the other one, you say, I'm willing to deny myself. Those desires may be totally fine, but you are willing to follow God's leading and say, I'm willing to give that up. I'm willing to have my plans and goals be interrupted. Maybe I never even get there, but I'm doing it because I want to follow you and be led by you, by your desires, by what values, God, you have. So this is what it means to set your mind on the Spirit. And when you're led by the Spirit, you can tell you're being led by the Spirit by, again, wh what you pay attention to and your relationship, your desires to pay attention to things. This is really challenging in the age we live in because I don't want to be, um, I don't want to be judgmental in a way that's unfair, but I want to say we can tell what, uh, we can tell where our minds are set based on, uh, number one, where we spend the majority of our time paying attention to, like, do you know what I mean? Like what we listen to, what we read, like our, our YouTube algorithm. Those are all things that help us understand what we really care about more than anything. And it's not to say that those things are bad, but the, it's a very healthy question to ask, um, what is my desire for things of God? So what does this look like? Uh, do I actually care? about reading the Bible. And I'm not saying like, I have to read the Bible every day. It's more like you gauge your desire. It's like you gauge your desire. Do, do you have any desire to do that? Um, or when it comes to prayer, you gauge your desire. And you say, um, does, is there something that is appealing to me and life-giving and peace-giving about talking to God and him being my heavenly father? And I'm not, come, I'm not saying this from a place of superiority, where I'm super duper good at praying, I read the Bible all the time. I'm really not saying that. I'm just saying, as a Christian, to increasingly have the self-knowledge, for the Spirit to lead you means you come up to these obstacles where you realize, you know what, and I, I would say this, I'm, I'm not really exaggerating here, I would say like for the past year, like 2022, I would say I really struggled with my desires to seek God. I really struggled when it came to having the desire, the energy to read the Bible and to really ponder and meditate on scripture, to pray. I really struggled with that. I really struggled in 2022. Did I struggle in 2021? Probably to some degree. I think 2020, I was like, you know, the pandemic that really drove me to God and to pray a lot. 2021 was probably a similar, but 2022, I'm just saying. And this is a tendency we have. Um, and so the Spirit leads us to consider our desires, to consider where our attention is going, and then we have a choice where it says, for those who are led by the Spirit, um, are sons of God, the, where if God is directing and prompting us 
towards him. And then if we, are, if we let God lead us, it's kind of like following the leader, right? It's like following his lead and being sensitive to his promptings. So, okay, I'm saying a lot of stuff. Uh, something practical for you to do right now, identify or think through where you are with God and try to think soberly about by asking these types of questions. Uh, what is your level of desire and interest in spiritual things? Another one, what is the state of your relationships currently? Um, when you're married, you go through different ups and downs in your relationship, right? And if you're sensitive, you can kind of gauge how you guys are doing as a married couple. If you're not sensitive, like me often, I think we're doing great. Ashley does not think the same thing, or vice versa, right? And so in the same way, what's so insidious about the world, um, and again, like, what's so insidious about this flesh, anti-God state of mind, which is pervasive, is a lot of the times you feel like you're doing good with God, but you really are not. You're kind of sleepwalking, right? You're sleepwalking spiritually. And so to be led by the Spirit is allowing the Spirit to open up your eyes and prompt you. And so what does it look like practically? If there is a little bit of desire in you to read the Bible more, it's taking practical steps to try to do that. And it's not coming from a place of judgment or condemnation. It's coming from a place of, I want to do this. There's a part of me that wants to do this, and how can I practically put it into practice? Um, okay, so this is all in the realm of the um, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Uh, being led by the Spirit gives us this sense of... Um, uh, old, old people, Puritans, etc., used to call this conviction of sin, where the Spirit brings to our attention problems that we have within our relationships and within our desires towards God. And so there's actually uh, terms that theologians would use um, for example, there's one that's, uh, there's a spiritual condition that's related to the word apathy. And so people actually would think about it in terms of, there's a huge difference between someone who, whose heart is really warm towards God, where, and, and when you're in youth group, um, you sometimes experience this, where it's like, there are moments in youth group where by the leading of the spirit, a whole bunch of kids wanna sing songs to God together completely unprompted by anything that Dan or the youth counselors are doing. They just want to do it themselves. Their, their hearts are warmed towards God. It's a collective thing that happens, and they do it out of their joy and love for God. That's what it's like to have a warm heart. But then often, especially for you adults, you go through life, and your heart is not always warm. Your heart is apathetic. You know, like, so this is actually a spiritual condition that Puritans would talk about that they would try to address. And the easiest way to do it, and the thing you have to do, basically, is you have to understand your condition. You have to say to yourself, my heart is no longer warm towards God in the way that it has been in the past. But the incredible thing is, even that realization is being led by the Spirit. Because the Spirit is constantly paying attention and prompting you to turn towards God, okay? Um, so let me, use, let me use an illustration for this. Uh, what I'm saying is to be led by the Spirit means that God, you're giving God the freedom to, uh, I, I hate using this word, but I can't think of a better one, or I can't think of another one. You're giving 
God the freedom uh, to diagnose you. Um, another word I was thinking of, which is not the best word, is like to criticize you. And I really mean in the sense of bringing out your flaws and issues. Um, so let me, let me give an example. Um, when you get older, you realize that often we're in denial about our own selves, right? And it's so important that you have self-knowledge. So there are a lot of ways you can illustrate this. Um, you know someone who lacks self-awareness, right? They do something within a group that is offensive or off-putting to everyone in the group, but they have no clue. We've all seen people like that, right? Can you, and do you realize that in many cases, you are that person. I am that person. I'm that person all the time. And, and you probably are always like looking at me you know, like when I'm preaching and you're like, what are you, you're getting of self-knowledge. So, so, so tactless, Daniel. And that's okay, because I'm, I'm kind of aware that I am. And so Ashley makes fun of me a lot for it. Um, but I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to get better. Anyway, what you realize as you get older is the most valuable people in your lives are the people who can tell you the truth about your issues. But they must not only tell you the truth about your issues, and this is where the other, the flip side of what God the Spirit does, they mu you must be so secure in your relationship with them, they must have communicated you and demonstrated to you their commitment to you in a relationship that even when they tell you the truth, it stings, it hurts, but you know that they're doing it out of love. You know they're doing it out of your good. Because there's a huge difference between, I don't know if you've met some people like this, there are some people who are extremely critical and they do it by saying to themselves, um, I tell people the truths that no one else is, willing, is brave enough to tell them. Do you, know, do you know someone like that? Where they're constantly like pointing out people's flaws and the issue with them is that they're harsh, they're tactless, and they needlessly inflict pain on the person that they say they're trying to help. So this would be like if there is a surgeon who's operating on you, and they're just like, oh my gosh, like whatever, I'm just gonna get the scalpel and blah, 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 go like that, right? They're totally not precise and targeted and sensitive, and they want, a good surgeon has to cause pain in order to bring healing. But you want to inflict only the amount necessary to help the person. And so, you know, there are Bible passages where it says, um, speak the truth in love, right? Those two things together. The Holy Spirit speaks the truth to us about our issues, but the Holy Spirit does it in love where the Holy Spirit radically reminds us and demonstrates to us that we are secure. We're children of God. And so we'll get to that part later. But this is the dynamic that happens in the Christian life. When you are growing, you have the sense that you hunger and thirst for righteousness. Like, I could tell you a lot of different ways that this takes place. Um, let me give you one example. This is one that youth kids always like. Um, so I'm, I, I'm like a super relational dummy in many ways, and let me tell you how. Um, I'm, I'm, I have a very extreme version of, I'm, I'm a very extreme version of the out of sight, out of mind kind of person, right? Do you, guys, do you guys know anyone like that? Where it's like, when someone is not around me, I completely forget about them. I am not considerate in that way. I don't send cards to people, you know? Because they're not there. I will say like, thank you so much for all your help. Like, I really love doing that. 
but it's just like, it just often people would not come to mind. And this is something God's been working on me for a long time. So one example is um, when I was a freshman in college, at near the end of my freshman year, uh, there was a girl and, you know, we kind of were like, you know, like, what, what is this? Are we going to be in a relationship? Whatever. My... And so we were, like, eating breakfast together, like, um, in the cafeteria and, like, you know, like, oh, we're playing Ultimate Frisbee, super cute, like, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, we're getting to know each other. This is awesome. Um, and then the semester ended and I went back to California and she lives in North Carolina. And then I didn't message her or communicate with her or call her at all for a month. <laughs> and so at some point, and okay, honestly, like, I don't know what was going on in my head. Probably not a lot, because I'm a dumb boy. But whatever was happening, at some point she sent me a letter. So, okay, to be fair, I always have to defend myself. To be fair, she was, uh, she was doing, she was like a camp counselor for like a summer camp. And so she was really busy. And this, these are the excuses I was making. But anyway, at one point, she sent me a letter from the camp. And she was like, it's clear to me that you really don't like me that much because you deigned not to communicate with me. Therefore, we are no longer <laughs> going to be together. <laughs> now, OK, you might be like laughing at me because I'm so dumb. But that's just my baggage. That's my issue, right? Do you know what yours is? At least I know what mine is, but do you know what yours is, okay? So you gotta be fair to yourself and you gotta be fair to me. Like, we have these relational blind spots. And so what it means to be led by the Spirit is over time, I need to stop being so self-centered. My attention and time increasingly should be characterized by caring and thinking about people who aren't right in front of me because that's what it means to have a relationship with people. Seriously. So, like, I struggle with being a good friend when my friends are like, you know, like my college friends, they're just off all over the world. And we're busy, we have all our stuff going on. And I have a hard time staying in touch with people. I still do. Uh, those are my issues. But the spirit is leading. And then the other thing is, the only reason that I can, to some degree at least, like, deal with these issues is because of this other dynamic, where it says, anyone who is led by the Spirit are children of God. And then, so the first way that the Spirit of God leads is by revealing our flaws and issues for the purpose of healing us, the same way that a surgeon operates on us in ways that are gentle and careful in order to remove the tumor or whatever it might be, in order to heal us. In the same way, at the same time, not always at the same time, but underneath everything, the other work of the Spirit is to bring us assurance that we are absolutely loved by God no matter what we do. And so these are the two dynamics that have to be in place in order for us to change. And if you guys have ever taught anyone anything, you know that this is the case. Um, you realize that as a teacher, like when I taught um, junior high kids how to play guitar, when you're the teacher, you have so much more knowledge of the mistakes that they're making than they do, right? But you have to understand where they're at and you have to restrain yourself and be patient with them as they're learning, right? Or otherwise it's not helpful. It's actually damaging if I told them this is every single thing that you're doing wrong right now. You're not giving any positive feedback. 
And that mean, the, the way that that comes across is they feel extremely insecure, they feel pressured, they don't feel any joy in doing the thing that they're doing. But God is never like that. Because God says, at the same time that he will reveal these things to you, out of love for you, without condemnation, at the same time, um, he, the Spirit communicates to us that we are children of God. And so this whole passage um, in verse 14, or in verse 15, it says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so this is the crazy thing. When Dan was talking about reading the Bible last week, how the word of God is a double-edged sword, um, check your desire when it comes to Bible reading and think to yourself, one of the reasons, this is something that I think is really important, one of the reasons we have a hard time reading scripture is because we're scared. We're scared of what God will reveal or how God will challenge or confront us when we read scripture. There are things you read in scripture that are very uncomfortable, that are challenging to you personally. And so we try to avoid those passages, we try to deny them, we try to say, oh, this is just like a cultural issue and doesn't really apply to me. There's so many ways we do that. But when you have this new relationship, this new attitude towards God, where you say, God is actually my father, God underneath all of this is the gospel, which says that I, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the sure ground and security by which you can actually start to address the problems in your life. Dude, I, I hope you kind of, I don't know how well I'm explaining this, but I hope you kind of understand what I'm getting at. If you're insecure, if, so uh, I see this on the basketball court, where there are some people who have a chip on their shoulder, right? And they have to think about themselves that they are the best player on the court, even when they have very obvious weaknesses to an outsider. And so if you said to this person, you're actually not that good at dribbling, maybe you should pass the ball more. If they're secure, they would be able to say, you know what, that's true. I'm gonna work on my dribbling. But the insecure person, that is a threat to their identity and the way they see themselves. And so they're not able to take the feedback in a way that can actually lead to change. If you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you understand how God loves you despite your sin, while you're still sinners, God demonstrated his love, sent Christ to die for you, then it gives you this ground of security by which you can actually go on to address the persistent issues that you have relationally in your life now. And so I really feel this is true. Like, when I was younger, um, I really had to construct an image of myself, an identity based on like being smart and reading books and all these different things. Now I'm like, whatever, you know, I'm not that smart, I'm not that great, I really don't think so. Um, I can hopefully hear when people say, oh, you're actually wrong about that thing you said. And, I, and I, before I might have said, no, I'm gonna argue with you. I'm gonna show, I'm gonna prove that I'm right. But now I'm like, whatever, I'm human. I say, I say the wrong stuff all the time. I try to be careful, I try to do my work, but at the same time, I'm mistaken, I lack wisdom, I lack all of these things. Um, and that comes from a sense of God uses weak people like me. God uses imperfect people like me. Peter says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Jesus says, don't be afraid. I will make you a fisher of men. I will use you, despite your weakness, and even through your weaknesses, to accomplish what I want, um, if you're willing to listen to me, if you're willing to be led by me. Um, 
Uh, one thing to kind of close up, you guys could be praying for my dad, and this is a really, I, I hope this is a helpful um, illustration, and I'm sure he'd be fine with me saying it. Uh, my dad has been having some really bad like, uh, like pain in his bottom, where they think it's like maybe a pinched nerve, or it could be something. The doctors don't know what it is, but basically as a result of this, um, he's been bedridden for about three weeks. Um, he really can't sit up, he can't move, he has to be lying down. That's the only place that uh, basically eases the pain. And so, you know, I've been going with him to the doctor, like we're trying to get him to figure out what's been, what's going on. So this week he uh, is taking a bunch of MRIs and then on Friday there's a follow-up appointment where hopefully the doctor can diagnose what's happening. Um, but something happened when we were in the, the, um, in the room uh, where, so you know, many of you know my dad, right? My, da my dad is a really big guy. Um, and, and the doctor said to him, uh, he, said some, he said this, he said, no judgment, but you really need to lose weight. And this is a super duper like, I, I hope, like I know how like painful this might be for some, like it, how painful it is for him to hear that, how painful it is for the doctor to say that because he doesn't want to offend, but it is simply the truth. It is simply the truth. Like my dad is overweight. He had heart surgery in 2020 and he's really been trying to work on his weight, but you know, it fluctuates a lot. Um, and in the moment that the doctor was saying that, he said, there is no judgment. I am not trying to make you feel ashamed or guilty about that issue. I simply want to help you. And that's really the attitude that God has. That's really the attitude that God has towards our issues and towards our sin. And the doctor is also communicating, like, I'm in this with you, where I'm not going to give up. Like, even though, like, you have these issues, I want to keep on trying to help you. And what my dad needs is he needs encouragement from people. Like, he needs, like, me, his son, to help him, like, go on walks and stuff like that. Because it's really hard. It's just really hard to stick with something for any period of time. And so... This is the dynamic that happens when you're growing as a Christian. You feel convicted of sin where you say, I have these issues. But when God says it to you, he's so gentle. Um, and so I wanted to end with this passage, beautiful passage from Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 12, verse 20, um, where this is a prophecy from the book of Isaiah talking about Jesus, where Jesus says, um, this says, describing Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. So let me unpack this, past, this uh, image real quick. Many of you think, based on maybe your parents or like basically the, the voice of the world, or maybe your internal self-critical voice, that God is harsh and demanding and pressuring. And when you have issues, God will keep on like nagging you until you change. And he is not gentle, he's not sensitive. But this passage says, a bruised reed he will not break. So if you imagine, like, have you ever been to like a pond? Um, there are those like reeds that are standing up in the water, right? And they're very fragile, they're very brittle. And so a lot of the times you see them and they're bent over like that because they've been snapped. What Jesus is, uh, the way Jesus is described is when he sees that reed that's been damaged and it has, is leaning over, he so carefully so carefully lifts up that reed 
And you almost get the picture of maybe he even uh, gets another stick that's stronger to support it and ties thread around it so that the reed can heal and grow. Can you see the tenderness? We are so fragile. Like, my ego is very fragile. Uh, My ego, like, God really needs to be gentle and sensitive and patient with me as he addresses these things. Um, Jesus will not break a bruised reed. And so when we are at our most sensitive and delicate, when God is addressing these issues, he doesn't beat you over the head. He is so careful in targeting his healing and his surgery in a way that you can, that you can actually take in. And so I hope that you guys know, like when you talk to Dan and I or like Ken or different people in our church, um, I hope that you know when you have some issues uh, and you come to us, we will not condemn you. We will not condemn you. We will hope to work on those issues with you, and that might involve telling you the truth in ways that are uncomfortable, but that is, we hope that we're gentle, and we hope that we're actually like willing to walk with you through those issues over a long period, because our issues take a long time, and it requires patience. Um, but this is the spirit who's leading us. The spirit who's leading us confronts us, but at the same time confronts in a way that's gentle and sensitive. And under everything, there's security. You know this person loves you so much. And so when they say you have an issue, you take it. You hear their feedback. And it just reminds me of, okay, sorry, I I can't help myself. Dumb example. When I was um, in, I think in 20, it was either 2016 or 2017 for my birthday. Um, We were celebrating my birthday. And what I asked people to do is, I give me constructive criticism <laughs> as a birthday present, which some of you think is like super duper weird, but it's for this very reason, because I know I have issues and I know I have blind spots, and so it's so valuable. When you read scripture, it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates your, the thoughts and intentions of your heart. God searches you in ways that you need to be searched because he loves you and he wants to heal you and your relationships and issues and dysfunctions. And he is such a good, wonderful, gentle counselor, so you can trust him. Are you hearing the voice of God in your life? Do you know what he's, at, what he's up to in your circumstances? Um, it, it requires wisdom and sensitivity to what God is saying, but how we get there, how we let God transform us is by listening to him through scripture, through the people around you, through prayer, and then over time you will see him bring healing and transformation as he gently binds you up like a bruised reed. Let's pray. Dear Lord, yeah, um, I pray, Father, that you would give us uh, the courage to bring our issues before you. And even in this moment, Lord, um, I pray you would be identifying areas in our lives that we know we need help with, um, and you would give us the courage to say, even in just a very small way, God, help me. Can you help me with this issue? Can you grow me? Can you shape me in the ways I needed to be, need to be shaped? And then I pray, Lord, that as we hear um, that, uh, as we hear those painful truths, at the same time, you would really be reminding us of how much you love us and how you see us 
and how you uh, see us as in Christ, um, how his righteousness and perfect life covers us in a way that can give us confidence and security and the strength to face our issues and work through them with you. Um, so I pray, Father, that you would do that. Uh, yeah, just apply this truth to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.